0: Hi, I'm James D'Souza, and welcome to this week's episode of This Property Life Podcast. Today, I'm going to be chatting with Dorian Payne of Castell Property Group. Dorian started investing in property at a very young age and has a really interesting story. He's also doing quite a niche strategy, really, within property, which he's going to tell us all about in this week's episode. I really hope you enjoy it. Hello, everyone. Uh, James here again. Uh, I am joined by Dorian Payne today from the Castell Property Group. Dorian, thank you so much for joining me.
1: Uh, thanks for having me, James. And uh, hey, to all of the listeners, thanks for tuning in.
0: Is, is it Castell or is it Casteth, with, with you being Welsh?
1: So uh, when, you're in the, when you're in the homeland, Wales, it's Casteth. But uh, if you cross the bridge, uh, it has to turn to Castell, otherwise everyone thinks you have a lisp.
0: <laughs> we'll go we'll go with Casteth then um dorian um you have been uh, investing in property for quite a while now um despite not not looking uh, old enough to, to have done so um you've done an absolutely you know a, a range of, of different strategies and things and you're working on some really cool uh, projects at the moment so if you'd just like to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself your background and how you got into property that would be amazing
1: Yeah, sure thing. Thanks. And uh, thanks for your kind words as well. I I did have a shave before this because (laughs) and and sometimes, uh, you know, it makes me look 10 years younger, but I can't believe, uh, you know, for me, time's flying. You know, I I can't believe uh, how fast it's going. But anyway, uh, so, yes. Uh, a little bit about myself, just to give the the listeners some context so i'm very fortunate i i was uh, i've been involved in property for as long as I can remember so my um, my parents were accidental landlords. My dad was an old school builder, not a property developer, but he had like a window factory uh used to do the convert uh, from single glaze to double glazed windows sort of thing and uh you know they they bought just properties without a business plan uh, run down things he would do them up in his spare time, and they just instinctively kept everything and and capital appreciation uh, treated them very well. But uh, growing up, I was destined to be an electrician. You know, my dad's uh, an all-rounder builder. My brother's a builder. And we were on site growing up, uh, you know, the opportunities we could. Half term, sometimes on the weekends, sometimes... Whenever we wasn't in school, really. Uh, but I absolutely hated being on site. Uh, not, I'm not going to lie. Uh, there's a little joke I say that if you shake my hand, you'll ask me what moisturiser I'm using. But if you shake my dad's hand, you'll get a paper cut. You know, he's, <laughs> 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 it is old school. Uh, his hands are permanently stained with dust and uh, oil. <laughs> but yeah.
0: What about being on site? Was it that you didn't particularly like? Was it kind of the graft? Was it the just the, well... kind of the, the mentality?
1: time went very slow i just mentioned it about how fast time is yeah. going but when you do what you enjoy when you do what you love time flies It goes, you know uh hours are minutes and days are hours but when you do something that you're you're not really fond of and you don't like uh a minute is a day it's just <laughs> it's, it's it's that drastic but obviously i was really young so you know i wasn't doing anything technical i wasn't being taught anything technical i was sweeping up making tea grabbing tools putting yeah. tools away uh so that's probably why i didn't enjoy it i suppose if you had nothing
0: to get your hands into really did you
1: yeah yeah no literally only the tea you know we didn't even have spoons I had to stir the tea with my finger <laughs> <I had> to... <laughs> uh, so but that 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 made me realize that I didn't want to do the hard craft you know my dad's he's still he's still grafting now he doesn't need to and, and my brother the, the amount they work harder than I do definitely they do real hard work I do mentally hard work but I've, anyway, I found I realised I didn't really want to do that, so I started helping my mum manage the um, the kind of the, the bookkeeping of the of the rentals and the letting side of things. Because both my parents, uh, like they done they did very well for themselves, but they they, they left school, uh, they didn't finish school. And they're both dyslexic; they can read or write properly. Uh, and they, you know, it's just that they operate very old school. Uh, and the tenants were most of the tenants were in rent arrears and they, they weren't keeping up with legislative requirements. So I started to help my mum at home doing the bookkeeping and the the letting side of things and teaching myself how to do lettings and property management properly uh, by ourselves. They didn't use an agency or anything like that. So over the years, uh, I, I became really interested and fond of accountancy and I understood how to do property lettings. So, uh, also through school, I had a bit of an entrepreneurial spark. I would say I, w- I was involved in several different businesses going through school. Uh, you know, from as far as I can remember, I remember even in primary school I was doing things like word searches to sell, and nobody would buy them. Um, <laughs> I was iron uh, ironing services, and that didn't last long. Uh, and then when I got to high school, I was buying and selling things that you know uh, that were in demand in school. So as much as you can see on this things podcast, things like Pokemon I'm
0: cards. where we talking yeah, well, sweets? Po-
1: Chocolate bars, cigarettes, you know, that, that's, as, that's as drastic as I went cigarettes. <laughs> but um, it was di- I was different to my competitors. I didn't smoke my profits. I, uh, <laughs> my, my competitors did. So I had a bit of an advantage. But anyway, I, I was doing, and then, and then also in school, buying and selling motorbikes as well, because that became a hot topic as we became, you know, later in teenager years. It's still the same now, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, when I, when I got to about 16, I left school. I didn't stay on to A-levels. And I went to study accountancy. And at the same time, I also set up a letting agency. Uh, as well as setting up a letting agency, I also thought, you know, for whatever reason, it would be a good idea to open a uh, an importing business where I would import uh, stuff, uh, goods from China. And I remember I opened a, company, a business called Payne Homewares, thought I'd take on Amazon for some reason. Said, <laughs> looking back, looking back, it's so funny. But I, I would, uh, I was dealing with manufacturers in China. I would deal with all the logistics and bring it all over. And if you could you imagine going out there to like, visit
0: the factories to see the products as well. No, I didn't.
1: I didn't visit. I was just dealing with them over, you know, over the phone, really, and email. But uh, if you could imagine a big Arctic lorry turning up, I put all my savings into it, and big Arctic lorry turning up outside my mom and dad's house and uh, unloading it, literally, a con- of, of hoses. Uh, of, so the expandable hoses is something that I really launched onto but i did other things before that as well uh, like uh, iphone cases um just v- various things but it wasn't really a good business plan but the expandable mm-hmm. hoses i was doubling my money on them I, they were selling out straight away so it was a very it was a small taste of success i suppose in an early stage uh but i made a big business mistake where i dropped i got greedy i chased the money i dropped the drop the quality of the product to a cheaper to a cheaper um, uh, material where i could triple my money i didn't get it tested by a like a verified you know test i didn't do a, a proper testing regime and i just brought it all over started selling them all and then the customers would you know plug in the hoses it would get to about 100 meters or whatever it is full pressure and just explode so uh you know i started having. i had to do a full product recall i lost all my money because i put all my money into it and I still got those hoses today in my uh, mum and dad's shed somewhere. Uh,
0: but yeah, you can't shift then. There's no, there's no, you know, ex- exploding hoses don't really have a market, do they? No, yeah. no,
1: they, they, they really don't. They really don't. But my property, my property um, kind of career started from, like I so said, when I was 16, mm. I was when I was studying to be an accountant, uh, I set up a letting agency as well. And I'd scaled that via cold calling. So, uh, you know, I would turn up to meetings on my moped with cameras strapped around my shoulder, take property photos, uh, and that, that's how it started. And then by the time I was 17, I had staff, uh, scaled that letting agency into an estate agency, uh, ended up with over 200 managed properties, I think the late agency was, uh, got into sales, like I said, got into commercial lettings and sales, and I did my qualifications for each one. So I'm a qualified letting agent, qualified estate agent. And then I also went into residential and commercial and business financing, because I I was a bit of a control freak. I didn't want to give leads away. I wanted to control the entire process. I wanted to do everything. Uh, so I, you know, over the years, I was still doing the accounting along along the, the time. So and I pack I'm a qualified accountant, but I did it through the AAT, so Association of Accounting Technicians, and ACCA Association of Certified Chartered Accountants method rather than a straight. Um, Kind of a degree or a master's in finance so I, I did that um and i was scaling my business along the way so like i said lettings estate agency finance and then i started working with investors myself uh, because i started networking across the country so i was borrowing money and i was doing my own properties so, so how, how old were you
0: when you bought your first investment property dorian 20 yeah
1: yeah 20 uh so i started yes yeah, buy refurbish refinance um flips commercial conversions uh and then I got into New Build. So I might have been 19 actually, because I did that for a couple of years. And I got into New Build private development when I was 21. And uh, spent about two years doing that and nearly went bust. <laughs> so,
0: uh, because What were the, what were the I, challenges there?
1: Well, New Build private development was, uh, you know, it still is the sexy thing. But the problem with, with it is that if it doesn't work, you are You you're fully exposed mm. to debt. You know, I so I didn't I didn't start this business with uh, uh, you know investment from my parents or anything like that. I, I raised private investment myself. So I, I've always been fairly highly leveraged, you would call it. So I, I would ha- I had investors on board. I had development finance facility. So I was fully exposed. Uh, PG'd everything and I did the entire development. And we, the development itself had the usual challenges, uh, you know, sub subcon- uh, trade, subcontractors, materials, delays, loads of things. So, you know, it, it didn't finish on budget and it didn't finish on time. And that's uh that's you know, most to be of,
0: expected, isn't it? To some uh, most developers
1: will tell you that. <laughs> uh and then, but I couldn't sell it. The problem was I couldn't sell it at the end. It, the market dipped. I, I just couldn't.
0: yeah was this was this kind of, of recession times then?
1: No, it wasn't. It was just it was a, it was, I think it was around um what time was Brexit? How, when, how long oh, ago was it?
0: 2018, Brexit? maybe. 2016.
1: Yeah, it was around 16. Brexit time because something happened to do with Brexit and yeah. the market had a little bit of a wobble and things went on hold for not for too long, but about a quarter. And it just happened to be the same time I, I was finished and mm-hmm. looking to sell. And uh, yeah, so I couldn't sell for a good few months, had to drop the price, but I was fully exposed. I was already behind and I ended up defaulting with an investor and defaulting with a bank. Um, I, I was still in full communication with them. I didn't bury my head and everyone's fine. I'm still working with the investor today. But the bottom line is I realized that this game could wipe you out, even if it's not your fault. Um, and there was nothing you could do about it. You know, if no one wants to buy a, your property. No one wants to buy yeah. it. So I then realized that the only thing out of the entire development process that keeps me up at night is the sale, really. You know, all the other stresses of buying finding land, negotiating, delays and planning and legal trades, working with the trades and all that is health and safety. It's all very important stuff and very stressful at uh, financing. But the thing that really kept me awake was the sale because I couldn't
0: you can't control that, can you? Because no, you, you're reliant on somebody else to come in and and actually say, "I want this." Whereas you can find the right trades people. You can, you know, do all the paperwork and, and all that side of things is yeah, a lot more in your control.
1: Yeah, it is. And you know, if if it goes wrong with the trades, then yeah, you'll have a stressful time yeah. kicking them off and getting new ones on, and it might cost you more and it might take longer. But if you can't sell something and you're at maximum finance uh, exposure and you've got investors on board. And there's nothing else you can do, and you can't drop the price even if you drop the price to the lowest price, and it still doesn't sell. What do you do then? Mm. So it's uh, it's real difficult. So I did a full circle because one one thing I slightly missed off there was my letting agency specialised in social housing back then. So we did uh, standard social housing, uh, emergency accommodation, uh, you know, domestic abuse, all sort of working with the councils, uh, and you know, all. Convincing landlords to take them on, have the leases with the councils instead, guaranteed rents or leases with charities, lots of different things we did. So I came full circle in the development um, business and launched Cast Health Group, which um, I think it was 24 when this business launched. And the, this um, this company specializes in social, affordable and disabled adapted housing. So we're a land led property development company. So we find our own land, secure it and take it through planning. And we also have a construction management company, so Castell Construction. So, to the housing association, we take, we bring them this land, and we bring them the build side of things. So we, we, you know, it's called a package deal. It's, it's, it's an end-to-end solution for them. And this is absolutely um, scaled rapidly because there is, there is genuinely a so, there's a housing crisis, but there is a social housing crisis mm-hmm. uh, in Wales and the UK. And over the past kind of four years, we've scaled this company now. So we're currently on site of, in construction of about 200 homes right now. We have a secured land bank of 600 homes. We have a target of handing over between 250 and 300 homes per year in South Wales. Uh, and yeah, there's, there's just so much that needs to be done.
0: It's an incredible business. And, and the, the kind of the, you know, you've scaled it so so quickly. And, and you know, it's such a um, a, a niche market as well you've hit, hit in as well it's, it's sort of fantastic to see the are you so you're buying are you buying the land yourself or is the housing association buying the land that you found for them and then you're doing the conversion how does how does it all work what are the kind of those inner workings
1: yeah sure so so we're, we're predominantly a new build uh, brownfield specialist mm-hmm. so that means we target sites that uh, we target land that's already in the settlement boundary and uh, has probably had something on it before we've done a bit of greenfield whereby there's been no previous development on it, but it's quite rare in a a settlement boundary. So um, the process is Casteth Group, which is the land acquisition and land promotion company, will find land opportunities and secure them, negotiate direct with the vendor. Uh, We mainly do off-market deals and we'll we'll secure the uh, the land in one of four ways. It's either a promotion agreement where uh, we're working with the vendor, promoting it through and having a share of the, the the revised market value or more commonly a conditional um uh conditional contract, or so subject to planning mm-hmm. subject to uh housing association signed contract or an option agreement which is our preferred but they're not as common because they're you know they're, they're, they're not everyone knows because, what an option is yeah so they give us the option to buy it if we want to uh, but not the obligation with a, a conditional contract if we achieve the conditions, we, it then become we become obligated mm. to buy it. So an option is great for the developer, but not so good for the landowner because they're legally tied up. They can't sell it. It's got a restriction on the land, on the title, uh, but then the developer doesn't actually have to buy it. So they're great to have, but they are a bit more difficult to negotiate. Yeah. And then the other one, the last one, is just a straight unconditional purchase. So we'll just buy it, just like you would a normal house. Mm. Uh, and so if the deal's good, we might just do that and take the risk. Once we've secured the land, uh, we never buy anything without informally having it sold. So we'll know if a housing association is interested. We'll know how many uh, homes we can get on the site and if that if that's what they want as well. Providing that's the case, we will take the risk and we'll tie it up, work with them informally whilst taking it through the planning system. And then the, which, with timing, then the planning process and the legal process with the housing association kind of runs a bit together. And hope that once we've got planning, we will sell it to them and then they were back to back with the build contract and pay okay. us back basically
0: so you, they're buying they're buying the site with planning and you're doing the build
1: yeah yeah so they'll they'll buy the site with planning they'll give us the build contract and if we've done our job correctly we hopefully have made a land uplift on the, on the land what we've secured it for versus what we sold it for uh and then as long as we do our job properly on the build we'll hopefully make a build margin as well and then combined we have our you know we have our margin for the for the project basically
0: yeah and the you i mean you must have great ties to all the local councils and the planning departments. so you are you always pretty certain whenever you go and view anything that you will get planning on it is that is that just kind of comes with the nature of the, what you've been doing and for, for the length of time you've been doing it
1: well the pl- planning is actually it's, it's extremely difficult it's like that across the uk but in wales it's it's really difficult they're they're so under-resourced and really there's no incentive at the moment it's just difficult (laughs) so we don't actually know we don't actually know if we're going to get planning we had schemes in the planning process for a year and then all of a sudden the planning officer you know doesn't like it because the way the system is now the site goes in and the planning officer is the middle person and then they're effectively like a post box and I don't mean that in a derogatory term because they then send it all out to consultees and everyone in our experience every single one of those consultees got to come back um, with no objection on the scheme has got to come back it doesn't really matter how menial it is either in our opinion what we've experienced everyone's got to come back unanimous but everyone doesn't come back unanimous because they've all got opinions uh, you know they uh, and then normally what happens is there'll be a clash so you know um Drainage will want one thing, and highways will want another, and it, and it clashes. You can't have both. So then, an internal discussion needs to happen behind the scheme, uh, and that that could take months. Uh, people don't want to concede; it becomes very difficult. Obviously, we have the objectors, uh, we have policy uh, committee members. wanting and then to take the com- uh, the plan into committee, the application to committee, uh, because they have objections, and obviously they get voted in. So it's uh, it's it's a difficult. So that sounds like
0: it's one of the most complex elements of what you do. Yeah, it is.
1: Everybody, every developer will tell you that the planning system is broken and that, you know, the the data they report on how they're on target with planning applications is false because if we do a planning application, it's meant to take eight weeks, uh, the statutory determination period. But if they go over that period of time, uh, there's two things that will happen. One, they'll uh, ask for uh, an extension of time. And if you extend that time, their targets get extended too, so they're no longer behind target. But if you decline that extension of time, they'll either refuse it uh, because they haven't had enough time to consider it or they haven't had consultees come back, so they'll refuse the scheme. And your only recourse then is to take it to appeal, but appeals are taking a year at the moment. So So you're better off
0: just letting it run, but then that's kind of helping... That's slowing yeah. everything down anyway well
1: it's slowing everything down and uh from you know they're no longer behind targets yeah. so when targets get when when actual results get published you know planning planning departments are not behind target yeah but the targets are movable so you know if, if we had a build program and we went behind three weeks we just moved the, tar- the end date we're no longer behind program yeah. but uh <laughs> you know, it doesn't mean that they it doesn't mean that's a good thing
0: no, Everywhere, so every developer will tell you that at the moment. So once you've you've then secured the planning on the property, you hand it over to the bit to, to your to the kind of in-house build team who who do the who do the works. Are you kind of hands on with both of, both those side of things? Are you with the acquisition and with the the refurb's or the development?
1: Yeah, so I'm a managing director of both companies, and uh, you know I have teams in, in one. It, it it feels like one company, but um, you know legally they're separate. The construction company has no land interest doesn't get involved in it, it is a trading company and the land company is, is a land investment company so they're, they're two different things but yeah uh, I, I oversee both of them and like I said there's a team beneath me that I uh, have a manager's heads of each division so we currently uh, currently have 40 staff now um, and we're more of a construction management company whereby we don't employ direct um, you know tradespeople like electricians and plumbers yeah. etc we will have a we will have a development and we will split it down into subcontract packages and we will let those and we will we've also got an in-house buyer where we buy our own materials for certain parts of the job we've only recently just launched our own groundworks company so we've taken that because that was the other remaining bit which we had limited control of and it was you, you with new build you can lose a lot of money in the ground it becomes really expensive mm. and if you get it wrong It's also hard to quantify when a subcontractor is on site, you know, if the variation is true, it's just, it's actually groundworks are so important to the success of a new build development company. So that's why we've taken a bit of control of it now.
0: Brought that in house. And what's the kind of the average size of the developments that you're doing at the moment? Uh,
1: Yeah. So obviously uh, uh, at the moment, it takes us on average two years from a site offer to start on site. Uh, And this is for sites that are in the settlement boundary. Um, so two years is what it takes. Not a quick so the sites... process then. No, not at no, no, not at all. Uh, so the sites we're finishing up now are things that we like negotiated two, three years ago, three years ago, uh, and and they are you know early teens, uh, you know between ten and twenty. The sites we're on now, uh, so we're on sites of thirty-five homes. Uh, our target average unit per site of sites we're securing at the moment is thirty, and it just it just goes up frequently. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah our sweet spot to be honest is anywhere between 20 and 60 we'll, but we'll go ideally we want to be the average 30 and above and as as we get bigger that will slightly grow, grow. grow. It's and because of efficiency
0: are you still just focusing on down in south wales or are you kind of expanding now as well because obviously there's you know there's a need for social housing every everywhere and, and you know kind of a supported living there's there's a huge need for that up and down the country so are you branching out or are you staying close to your roots yes
1: yeah, no, definitely. Good question. I mean, you know, the, the, just very quickly for those listening who don't, who don't understand the market. the uh, At the moment in England, there's over one million uh, people on the housing waiting list uh, and the annual target for a social rent per annum in, in England, which is outdated now, is 90,000 a year. And the build rate is less than half of that. Uh, so the backlog is growing and the, the annual um, deficit is increasing. And there is also a backlog in Wales. It's a sim similar pattern. Over five thousand required a year, which is outdated, and uh, they build in less about a thousand, twelve, fifteen hundred a year. And in Scotland, it's the same ten thousand a year, and they build in less than half. So the, in the UK, yes, there's definitely a crisis, and there's the demand across the entire UK. So, um, but for ourselves, the key business plan uh, model is to is to develop in regions and to get. This, this is the first region. So we really have to nail our entire processes, systems, the core team. How does it look? What, what system are we working on uh, that, so we can get real data in real time? And once we've, once we've got that, which we're getting close to, and we're hitting our regional target, which is 250 to 300 handovers a year whilst maintaining a three-year land bank of secured sites uh, an immediate secured sites, then we'll start looking to the next region. Um, we believe the next region uh, will we'll start sometime next year. And we'll, we'll and then as we grow, as long as the, the market conditions remain the same and there's still demand and there's still grant support, then we'll start scaling rapidly because we'll look to take on much larger institutional investment to try to... Once we've yeah. proven the concept, that we should... Because this business model is actually very difficult to secure funding for. There's quite a lot of funding out there for investment-type companies, holding assets, mm. but not trading-type companies like this. Even though there's the demand and market there, this business model is is classed as um, high risk and very difficult to raise money for.
0: So you said you're getting some grant money as well. Where's that coming from?
1: So the housing associations get the grant money. It's yeah. it's what allows them to do the development. If if but obviously that comes from central, central government, up. local government. If the local government, uh, you know, reduced the amount of grant and reduce the targets, and you've seen stuff like that in the news about just mm. the targets, then that will just mean that the housing association can, can deliver less. It doesn't matter about the weightiness, it doesn't matter yeah. about what's needed. They just they just can't do it unless there's this grant support.
0: haven't got the money to actually pay for it themselves, yeah. so it kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. From the
1: yeah, and at the well, moment, the, sorry, no, no, you go, you go. I should say the the positive thing is at the moment, all of the different political parties in the manifestos, they're all saying that, uh, you know, in fact, they'll increase the grant for social and affordable housing. But we'll see, you know, what? Yeah,
0: long, long may that continue, because, as you said, there is a massive shortage and there's, you know, we're an island not building any more land, not enough homes and, and yeah. things like that. So the the kind of the types of property that you are developing, they're not your are they your bog standard homes or are they adapted for, for the kind of the people that are going to be living in there?
1: Yeah, no, so in Wales, definitely the, uh, the standard of social housing is actually higher than private. Uh, the only thing that lets it down is the finishings because of maintenance purposes. But, uh, you know, the standard, standard three bed home that we build is 94 square metres. But the standard three bed home that like, you know, some of the PLCs may build or you might see on the private market could be 20 percent uh, smaller than that. Yeah. Uh, the, the minimum garden size we have to put in for houses is 40 square metres. You know, that isn't the same for private. It's, it's obviously much smaller. Uh, the everything we build, every property we build is a minimum EPC rating A. So uh, they're highly energy efficient and we're on route to becoming net carbon operation zero as well. Uh, yeah. So the, the, the design standards are, are really high. You know, the, 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 they're also designed to lifetime homes, as you've mentioned, which means if if. Uh, an individual is living in the property. It's designed to be adapted relatively easy if they develop a physical impairment, or if, you know, later on in their life, so they don't have to move out. So we design properties with uh, you know support in mind. If, if they need to install joists, knockout panels in case uh, um, walls need to come down, uh, ground floor wet rooms, uh, a wheelchair access, uh, and then we'll also work early on with the local authority and the housing association. To see exactly who's on the waiting list for the disabled adapted apartments, where we'll design we'll design them together, and then we'll build them specifically for, for the end user in mind. You know, rise amazing. and fall kitchens, and what what type of bathrooms? Uh, you know, higher sockets, lower switches, uh, lower even on the on the entrance door, lower keyholes for them to look through. So yeah, it's uh, but it's good you know because we when you check these tenants in, they've been on some of them have been on the waiting list for over a year. You know, so we can see firsthand the actual problem is and we've experienced tenants crying when they've finally managed to move into their their new home.
0: I can imagine Expect for them. It's like it's like a custom built house that they probably never thought they were going to be getting. And yeah, and you're able to deliver that and provide it to them. So it's, it's incredible what you're doing.
1: Yeah, we just need to do more of it. We really do so
0: (laughs) and is that so the the, kind of the scaling up for you obviously more more projects more areas that the team's going to expand so how do you feel your role will alter dorian as the projects grow
1: yeah sure i mean so the company is set up in a way like i'm i'm quite hands-on i've got quite a clear strong vision and i'm quite a systematic person as well uh and unfortunately over the years i've developed quite a deep knowledge of each of the sectors and anything i haven't i've Done extra training to, to learn so i you know I, i've just rec- recently finished a, a master's in masters in quantity surveying because of just making sure that my knowledge is really up to speed on on the construction process and the commercial side of construction because we enter into fixed price contracts so you really need to deliver extremely well and, and execute well to maintain a margin but to answer your question at the moment it isn't an operational manager beneath myself i am acting as ops ops director as well uh, so the the heads of the divisions uh, report to me, but this business was started with with you know myself really as the as the employee. So over the over these years now, we the, the team has developed in a very specific way, trial and error. And like I mentioned before, the whole purpose is to nail this our regional core setup. How does our team structure look? What do the KPIs look for each member? Um, what reports do we want? What data do I need, uh, and and how frequent so I can see if we're on track or falling off track? Uh, what type of meetings should we be having? How frequent? What should be in those meetings? So we've developed all of that over this time, and as we start approaching to achieve our regional model, my key focus, my key focus as a director is well. Firstly, I need to bring in an ops person to manage that, maintain that. The the ops people what they're very good at is maintaining. The success formula effectively. So this is the formula. Their job is to maintain. I've been working with the teams um, every day and making sure we're always staying on track all the time, and and obviously flagging in risk. My job is it's a bit different. Uh, I'm much more a forward thinker, big thinker, kind of visionary, um and I'll need to be heading up the the new regions, and I'll need to be focused on highly strategic. Uh, decisions matter. Strategic relationships, fundraising, new new locations, building the new teams again, maybe mergers and acquisitions, uh, you know, all, all of that type of stuff, really. And then, obviously, stepping in as well on on the delivery side of things when I have the meetings to review, making sure that the region is performing well, and and then troubleshooting, which will always come up. If you know, things are, it won't work. It won't work to plan. Nothing ever does. But that's how I can see my my role changing.
0: Mm-hmm. And the the kind of the the, the the growth that you've experienced did you did you foresee this or because you you have a very clear plan and very I kind of feel that you know exactly what you want which is you know great to see and, and somebody that's sort of got that vision nailed on yeah. did you expect it to grow this quickly this fast and into what it is today?
1: Uh, so so the honest answer is is I expected it to grow faster and I, I, the only reason is because I I could see the the gap in the market like the, the stats mm. are factual uh, i could see how much grant money was being allocated into social housing i could see the shortfall of social housing and i could see that uh, developers private developers struggle to make social housing work because it isn't as high a margin and the margin for errors are low if you make a, if you make a mistake as a private developer chances are the whole development process it still takes years but the sale prices have gone up mm. so uh, your 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 mistakes get masked by in, uh, uh, increased prices. It doesn't work like that for social housing or, or, or affordable housing, stable housing. Your your sale price is fixed. Once you sign that contract, you might have a two-year delivery, 18-month delivery. Any changes in that is coming to you. So uh, anyway, yeah, I thought it would be, I'm, I'm obviously very proud of what we've done, but I can see how much there is really to do. Uh, it, it hasn't grown as fast as I would have thought, but that's really because of planning. Planning, I underestimated the planning process uh, big time. So we used to work on an assumption of site site secured, offer accepted, 12 months we'll be on site, a year. You know, we thought that would be ample time, but it isn't. We've literally had to double it. So it's about two years. And and I didn't expect that. So we're about a year behind where I thought we would have been. But
0: still... an amazing amazing what i said what what you've done and the, the growth and numbers and the projects that you're you're now doing and the kind of delivering on so it's it's, it's great to see no um, I appreciate
1: that so and luckily now we've built i've built a a very strong team you know the team in this type of business like any business uh, you know i can't do i can't do everything i can only do i can only really think about what we need to do but the team who execute daily to try to make us the best That's really important. Having a high quality, high calibre team, uh, the right people on the right seats doing the right things. That's literally one of the biggest things a ops director needs to always be thinking about. It's one of the biggest jobs is do I have the right team in place? Are they doing the right things? Am I tracking the right data? Do we have enough cash? And, uh, And then periodically is the strategy fine, you know, because that normally will only change from external factors like what we've experienced recently.
0: Have you have you brought in so when you sort of talk about the team, have you brought in in-house sort of planning office, uh, planning consultants and things like that to kind of give you the best chance of an architect? So that, that that's all being done internally now rather than outsourcing that level of work.
1: Uh, not yet. So because most of the things we do is in the settlement boundary, uh, there's a process we have that follows sites. I mean, the theory is we we'll we we will know. We don't need to be a planning consultant to know whether the site, in principle residential should be accepted what the constraints are and then we'll we'll obviously get it firmed up by a planning consultant but when we start going into strategic land and outside the settlement boundary stuff we will need to be working with uh very experienced planning people who just really understand the planning system and ideally they have uh, they, they're from that local authority they have connections they know what that local authority is looking for in their master plan uh, that's that's really where that becomes invaluable. But we, we do work with planning consultants. In-house, really, though, it is it is relatively lean. So in the land department, we have our head of land and development, have a land and development manager, land coordinator, and a kind of land sourcer who looks online. Uh, and then we have a technical team, a commercial team, a construction team, a finance team. And then we have uh, the office, basically, uh, which is office, marketing, and IT. Mm.
0: So, the, I mean, obviously, and, and as you grow, that will, I'm sure that will grow as well. And you'll be, you'll be developing that side of things too. Um, yeah, yeah. With, with the finance, you mentioned sort of, you know, your part of your key job is, is the raising of finance. There's obviously grant money coming in from the um, housing, uh, from the uh, local, the housing associations. Are you raising private finance? Are you raising institutional finance to kind of be funding, funding the developments as well? Is it, is it coming sure. from internally now, sort of from profits?
1: So the uh, finance is such an important part. I cannot downplay how important it is into any business, but especially in house building construction sector where, you know, it's construction has one of the highest insolvency uh, rates that is in, in business. And it mainly comes down to cash. Uh, and, you know, I can see it and I've experienced it firsthand how sensitive this type of business is to cash flow problems. So, when this business was started, uh, I was already working with investors doing de- uh, projects and developments, as I've already mentioned. To get into the social housing sector, this company, obviously Castell, was set up as a brand new company, had no trading history, no record. And the first deal we did was you a know, multi-million pound project, and you can't do that uh, off a contract. So we actually ended up funding everything ourselves, and I did that as a private developer would, a combination of private investor and, and bank funding. Now we're selling the land and they're giving us a build contract and they're paying us monthly because we've finally built up, yeah. you know, track record and reputation. But uh, what happens then is when you lose the land, if, if you're securing land on promotions, conditional contracts, or options, you have no securities. So you can't raise money on it. Mm. So all of that money to take it through the planning system needs to come out of working capital. And then if you sell the land to a housing association, they give you a build contract. If you haven't done that build contract or cash flowed it correctly, you got no security again. So you can't raise money as a private developer would on that piece mm-hmm. of land or that project to fund you through. You've had to cash flow correctly. So a lot of mistakes can happen in that, which means cash negative positions. So we, to scale and especially like at the moment we're spending 50, 60 sometimes a hundred thousand a month on pipeline. I sold 20% of the company to a, uh, small family office, which is, uh, in exchange for a, uh, you know, quite a substantial multi-million pound finance facility uh, to help with the working capital. That's really what's allowed us to explode our growth. Um, uh, but yeah, Just knowing
0: it, that that pot's there as and when you need it. So the kind of the, the cash flow issue is kind of well, a little yeah, less.
1: It was a little less. I mean, but that was that we, we took that on on the premise of that 12 month situation, which I mentioned that moved to 24 months and so we've experienced massive cash flow uh tightness ourselves not because we don't have stock we have multi-million pounds of like we have 120 million pound of forward sold con of of projects but it's um it's just it's just the timing they Mm -hmm. have to sell we have to get that money in it's like any but so we're definitely operating at kind of max capacity from a cash flow and i would definitely say that cash flow is our biggest risk of this company by far even if even though we've got with forward selling and so managing that is is critical which we do you know we we do manage it well um but uh yeah the only way to raise money for this type of business is by selling equity or getting um working capital like debt based loans Mm. which is business loans or invoice financing or uh, credit cards or anything like that but construction sector house building sector is deemed high risk. So you can't, there's no bank funding support, hardly any bank funding support for new companies. You have to already be established and they go off your previous.
0: So, so th- this is probably part of the reason why there is such a shortfall because anyone that wants yeah. to start doing this is going to be hitting some big, big, big high hurdles barrier. very quickly.
1: Yeah. So when I did my business plan, so I, I don't know, uh, I did the business, um, Cranfield business growth program. And when I did my, uh, competitor analysis and market analysis, uh, using a strategic uh, tool called the Porter's Five Forces, which basically looks at the, uh, the competitive landscape. Ultimately, this type of business is a high barrier to entry mm. because it's so capital intensive. It takes so long to get a cycle through, to get your money back and working for you, that it's incredibly difficult for new companies to enter that market. Uh, and, and that there, when, when, a, when a business is high market, um, high barrier to entry, typically like like we're experiencing it's difficult to it's difficult to keep up with demand uh in fact demand accelerates more than supply because there's just not enough people doing it
0: and do you think you're kind of accounting finance background really helps you with this because obviously it is so kind of number heavy and and sort of you know all those cash flows making sure you know the books are all balanced and everything the the background that you've got and you know probably never thought it but working with your mum on the on the letting agencies all those years ago do you think that's sort of stood you in really good stead
1: the accounting and finance background is uh, I would say probably one of the most vital things I ever did uh, because without that there would be no way you know There'd be no way that this company could have got what it has. How it's how we've managed it. And I'm not saying that I'm the best or the greatest. I don't mean that at all. But you, Mark Mark Cuban, in an interview, uh, said you know the multi billionaire in America. He said that uh, you know every every business owner should learn to do accounting. It doesn't matter what. It doesn't matter you don't have a degree in it. But you need to understand accounting basics and principles. And because when you make decisions, it always has an impact on cash. Uh, You know sooner or later, whatever you do. And when you know that. Uh, how it all fits together and how it all works. If it wasn't for that, this we wouldn't be here. That's that's the brutal reality of it. So uh, you know it, it's so important in this type of business and I would recommend any list any person listening if I would I would literally copy Mark Human's advice. If you're going into business, you need to understand accounting and numbers. You just do. It's just it's so important.
0: And if I guess if if you really can't wrap your head around it partner with somebody that does and that can Someone needs to. someone
1: needs to yeah uh and you know it's because unless you're in one of those uh fortunate types of industries where it's like a customer funded business where you're cash positive all the time uh, and you don't really need you should still keep an eye on numbers but there are some businesses out there where it just makes so much money anyway and you get the money in advance that you know you don't it's it's not not but when you're in a business like this where the working capital cycle is long the money comes and, after the, the work is done. yeah and it's an inherently cash negative working capital cycle business which is which is what this business is uh you need you if you're in that type of industry you need to really understand figures or someone on your team really needs to understand it if you're in a working capital positive business it, it's not that it's not as important um you know sales is more important get it doing more is more important but you should still have somebody that knows what it means and can actually explain it to you sorry I didn't mean to get technical no no no
0: I find it fascinating as well it's not an area that I've I'm as au-fait okay with as you so it's really interesting to, to hear your take on it and to kind of understand that that finance sort of background perspective yes
1: because yeah. I, I don't have a construction background I mean last we're doing a house building construction business but if I'm on site and you start talking to me about you know, building regs, uh, I don't know them. I don't know them off, mm-hmm. off the top of my head. I know I know the red flags. I know what we need to do, but I, I can't reel off. You know, my, my head of construction can reel off building standards and, you know, we need to blah, 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 blah. And I'm just like, great, okay, well, I, I just need to make sure that we pass our cheque. So it ha- it's been signed off by our actor. It's mm. been signed off by our technical team. Uh, we have our clients' of works go around. We have our external building control and structural warranty survey go around and making sure everything's fine. And we get a report to prove that. As long as, as, long as I have the paper trail that says it's all okay, I have to put trust in experts. But when it yeah. comes to the finance stuff, that I am I am you know we don't we don't well, yeah. I don't outsource the finance stuff to an accountancy firm mm-hmm. we do it in house and I am quite hands on with it because it's so important whilst we're scaling
0: yeah so obviously kind of what next more scaling more growth more of this anything else on the horizon for you it sounds like you've got your hands full with all, all of that anyway though Dorian
1: yeah i mean one of one of the biggest problems with most entrepreneurs and myself is included is We are our own biggest risk because uh, when we think, when we feel things are working, we end up doing something to just break it because we're so used to working in chaos that when things are, are, this is where I said the importance of an operation manager is, is where they are all about keeping that piece in line and refinement, whereas I am more about, you know, quite chaotic, explosive growth and uh, which you shouldn't do when a business is is already kind of up there it needs to be it needs to be cultivated uh, properly which is fine you know I understand that we're not there yet but we're nearly there uh, but the what's next for me is yeah we gotta we gotta nail this region we've gotta hit our metrics so uh, we've got to be doing our handover figures we've got to be there or thereabouts with our program delivery our health and safety our quality our custom satisfaction employee satisfaction our three-year land bank um, we've got to be there with our financial financial metrics. And once I feel, uh, and then and then I'll be I'll be focused on bringing in the right ops person, making sure I get the right level of detail I need. And then I'll be focused on the next um, fundraising and next regions. That's mm. that's literally it. Uh, I need to I need to raise a substantial amount of money uh, at at the at the, at the correct um, uh, return and at the, got a f- uh nail. You can see the map in the background of the of the regions. Got to pick which region, do more research on it, and uh, develop strategic relationships, strategic alliances, and 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 launch the new launch the new location.
0: Fantastic! Well, it sounds like you've got your 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 work cut out. I wish you all the best with it, Dorian, because what you're doing, as I said, it's it really is fulfilling a need that that the you know no one no one else really is so i you know i really truly do wish you the best with this uh, venture and and that it, it really takes off and that we see casteth uh, build sites all up and down the country so thank you very much for joining me and taking time out of your busy schedule uh, to join yeah, me yeah. today if our listeners do want to get in touch with you um what would be the best way for them to be doing that
1: the, the easiest way is, is social medias now so I'm on uh, Facebook LinkedIn and Instagram and it's just all at Dorian Payne property or at Casteth group you'll you'll be able to find it on there or just just type my name in Google um, and uh, you know you found me on this podcast but if you type my name all my contact stuff and for the business will come up so yeah
0: perfect well thank you so much and uh, good luck with everything Dorian
1: pleasure thank you so much appreciate it.
0: I hope you enjoyed that episode of this property life podcast with dorian payne and i hope you also found dorian as inspiring as i did it's fantastic to hear about how he's built such a niche business and how he's helping so many people while doing it as well if you want to hear future uh, topics of your choice on this podcast jump on to our facebook group property wealth system community and on there you can be letting us know any particular topics that you would like covered in future episodes. We look forward to hearing from you and stay tuned for next week's episode.